And if you would join me right now in opening up to the book of Habakkuk, we are going to kind of do an overview of this book uh, tonight. It's three chapters. And, uh, and yeah, it's a really, really cool book. So Habakkuk chapter 1. We'll go ahead and read the first four verses and then we'll go ahead and pray. It says, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear, even cry out to you violence and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we come before you right now. And again, we just pray that you would just uh, you would speak to us tonight through your word. And that you would encourage us. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was telling some people before service that Habakkuk has become one of my favorite books in the Bible. And not just because it's a short book, but because there's so much in this book. And it's, there's such an encouragement in it. And I think especially going through everything that has happened in the city, in the nation, and just sometimes in some of our personal lives over the last couple of months, over the last year, you know, it's, it's very, I guess, very timely, very, very encouraging to look at what Habakkuk was going through because I think we can relate to him in a lot of ways. Because I think that there are a lot of times that we look around, whether it's just in our own lives or whether it's, you know, with what's going on in the nation or our city, and our question becomes, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, I look around and I see all this evil. I look around and I see all this wickedness. God, you know, I've been praying. I've been going to the prayer services. I've been going to all these different things. God, we've been praying basically since I got saved. And yet, Lord, it seems like things are getting worse and worse and worse. And it leads to that point where sometimes our question becomes almost, God, are you even listening? And it's where we see Habakkuk as we start this book. Because in verse 2, what he says is, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear, even cry out to you violence, and you will not say. And it's another one of those times where I really love to look at, at the wording there because though we only have that, that one word, they use the same word there both times for cry. The second time that it's written, it's really more of a desperate plea, a desperate scream in a sense. Where he starts off, Lord, how long shall I come before you and shall I plead my case? Lord, how long shall I scream out before you? And you will not say. How long will this continue? And, and it's one of those things that I think a lot of times, and I was even talking to somebody recently, talking to one of the youth, where it's one of those questions that we have, but a lot of times we're afraid to ask. You know, I had a kid come to me recently and tell me, you know what, I, I don't understand what's going on in my life, and I don't understand what God's doing, but I know that I can't ask him. And I looked at her and I said, what do you mean you can't ask him? And she told me, well, it's because my mom told me I should never go and question God. And I told her, you know what? There, there is a sense 
in which I can understand what she's saying, but I said, man, there is nothing wrong with coming before the Lord and bringing your concerns before Him. There is nothing wrong with coming and saying, Lord, I want to understand what's taking place, but I just don't get it right now. I just can't see it. And I said, in fact, it's in those moments, it's in those times where you're wrestling with it, where you're struggling with it, and you bring it before the Lord, that it's out of those moments a lot of times that our faith becomes even more strong. It's in those times that where we go and we take it to the Lord, there is nothing wrong with questions. I think the problem is when we have the questions, but we don't look for the answers. When we don't take it to the right places. One of the things that I see working with the youth as much as I do is that a lot of times when we have questions or when they have questions, it, it gets posted on social media. You know, it's that venting moment where they pour it out on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat. Guys, what do you think I should do? Guys, this has happened in my life. What do I do now? And I think a lot of times it's similar to what we do, except instead of posting it, what we do is we go to our circle of friends. And we say, okay, look, this has happened in my life, and I just don't know what to do next. What do you think? And while there may be some value in that, especially if they're Christian friends, ultimately we ought to do what Habakkuk does, and we ought to take it to the throne of God. And we ought to say, God, I'm looking at this situation. I'm looking at this event in my life. I'm looking at this event in my city. And God, I just don't get it. I know you have a plan. I'm just not seeing it. I just don't understand it. In fact, Habakkuk gets to this place where in verse 4, he even says, the law is powerful, is powerless, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. He says, man, there is not even any law. There is nowhere I can go right now, God, and find hope. God, where are you? God, what's going on? One of the things I love and, and I learned as I was studying is that the name Habakkuk means he who cleans. And I love that because as we go through this, what we're going to see is that is exactly what Habakkuk does, is he's going to cling to the Lord. There are going to be a lot of things that he questions, a lot of things he doesn't understand, a lot of things that don't make sense to him. But throughout this short little book, one of the things we're going to see Habakkuk do is cling to the Lord. And I think that above all, if we learn nothing else tonight, that that should be one of the lessons, or the lesson that we walk out of here with. That we need to cling to the Lord. That that is where the answer is, that is where the peace is going to come. And it's one of those things that we're told, even in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, that we have the ability to do, that we have the ability to come before the Lord. It's a verse that, man, we, we quote a lot. It's not one of the ones that I use a lot because it's the one that I have to be reminded of a lot. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That it says that we are able to come boldly before the Lord, that we can come and we can ask for help in those times, in those moments that we're struggling, 
that He knows exactly who we are. And that He knows that there are times that we struggle. And I think that it's one of those things to remember that, man, with God, we don't have to put on a front. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to play a part. But, man, we can come before Him. And we can pour ourselves out before Him. In fact, in reality, that's what we should be doing. And I love God's response to Habakkuk. Because in verse 5, he, he begins his response by telling him, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. He prepares Habakkuk for the answer that's coming. And he tells him, Habakkuk, I'm about to do something that you're not going to understand even as I tell you. Now, Habakkuk, I'm going to tell you what's coming. But man, that's not where the hope is going to lie. Habakkuk, you're not going to understand the answer. I'm going to give you an answer, but it's not going to bring you the peace that you think it will. And then he goes on to tell him that he's going to be bringing this nation. In verse 6, he says he's raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. He's raising them up and he describes them as this nation that that they're terrible and dreadful in verse 7. He describes in verse 8 that their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat in verse 8. In verse 9, he says, They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like, like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes and he transgresses, or he transgresses. He commits offenses ascribing this power to his God. He tells him, look, you know what? I know what's going on in Israel and I'm preparing the Babylonians to come and, to, and I'm going to use them to judge the people of Israel. And you see this description of them and imagine being Habakkuk and hearing this and you're looking at Israel and yes, you're seeing the wickedness. Yes, you're seeing the violence. That's where the prayer began. That's where the book began. But what you're expecting is God to say, Habakkuk, I've heard your prayer. And man, there will be revival in the land. Habakkuk, I've heard your prayer. And man, I am going to use you to bring the people back to me. I'm going to turn their hearts back to me. Ultimately, that's what Habakkuk was looking for. And instead, he's told that there is a nation that is far worse than you. There is a nation that, man... They're violent, they're wicked, they're all these things. And above all, they are idol worshipers and they're going to give glory to their own gods at the end of this. But I'm going to use them to judge Israel. And man, again, imagine being Habakkuk in that moment. You know, it's got to be one of those, and, and we're going to see it in a little bit, that it's just like, man, what? How does that even make sense? It's, it's where we sometimes use that phrase that we get mad at our kids for using where we look at God and we say, that's not fair. It's, that's not what I wanted. It's not what I expected. God, what are you doing? I think sometimes we find ourselves in that place. There have been a lot of times in my life where I've prayed for things and I have prayed and, and hoped that God would answer according to what I wanted. 
And it hasn't worked out that way. And I, my response has always been one of those, God, I don't get it. Because I think that there are times that we don't. There are times we don't have the whole picture. And the answer sometimes brings more questions. And in fact, in verse 12, that's what it does. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and to not look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to, incense to their dragnet because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? And he says, God, I just don't get it. Why are you rewarding the Babylonians? Why is it that this is what's taking place? God, I know who you are. And I love where he begins because he begins by reminding himself who God is. He says, God, are you not eternal? God, are you not righteous? God, I know you're these things. And that's why I'm so confused by what's taking place. One of the things I read as I was studying is that it said that doubt is born out of a troubled mind and a broken heart. It's not unbelief that often the question comes from someone who has faith in God and is looking at a world that has not surrendered to God. And again, you can see that in the, light, in the heart of Habakkuk, in the way he's speaking to the Lord. And again, I think that there are many times in our lives that we can look back and we can sympathize with him. We, can, we find ourselves in the same place where our heart is broken because, man, it seems like evil is winning. It seems like darkness is winning. And we cry out and we say, God, are you not the Holy One? God, why? But I like in verse 1 of chapter 2 how he ends the second question because he says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Habakkuk says, I've poured myself out, and now I'm going to go wait for the answer. Because, God, I know there's going to be an answer. And I love that he even says, and I will wait to see what I will answer when I am corrected, because he knows that there's something that he's missing. God, I know that there is something that I'm not seeing, and so I'm going to go sit, and I'm going to wait for you to show me what it is. And when it says there, and, and to see what I will answer when I am corrected, what he is saying is, and what I will share with the people when you have corrected me. What it is that you are going to give me to tell the people around me. Because Habakkuk is saying, I am going to go sit on my watchtower for the people of Israel. 
I'm going to go sit there and I'm going to wait for the answer that I know is going to come. And in that response, in that verse, we see the heart that I think that we sometimes lack. That heart of humility. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, again, it's a passage that we're pretty familiar with because it's there that we're told that we can pour out our, our requests, we can pour out our cares before the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, it says, or verses 6 and 7, I wrote the wrong verses down. In verses 6 and 7, it says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And I love that first part. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You know, I, I think that sometimes what leads us to not go and take our questions to the Lord is really our pride that there are times that we have not outgrown that attitude of not wanting to be the kid that raises their hand in class. You know, it was something that I dealt with my son a lot when he was in school. And, and even as I've talked to some of the youth recently about their struggles in their classes, you know, one of the frustrating things is I'll ask them, hey, do you understand what it is you're learning in math or whatever it is? And they'll be like, well, sort of. Well, do you understand everything? Well, not really. Did you understand what you learned today? Well, no, like, I was totally lost. Okay, well, did you ask for help? No, why would I do that? I said, well, did you go to tutoring? Well, no, because tutoring never helps me. She, she never comes and explains anything. Well, do you ask questions? Well, no. Well, why not? Well, because I'll figure it out. But you don't understand it. But I don't want to ask questions. Well, how are you going to learn? I don't know. And I'm like, my head melts. Like, I'm just like, I just want to drag them to the teacher and just be like, this fool doesn't know what's going on. Help them. And I think that, that a lot of times, all it is is pride. None of their friends are raising their hands. Everybody around them seems to know what's going on. So they don't want to be the one to sit there and say, I don't know. And I think a lot of times that's the way it is with us also. We come to church and we see, you know, the prayer counselors up there. We know that there are people that are probably struggling. We know that there are people that are probably going things similar to what we're going through or that they're going through things maybe even worse than what we're going through. But we look around and at the end of the day, we see no one go up for prayer and we say, well, I don't want to go up either then. And we're like that little kid. Well, I don't have the answers. Well, have you asked? Well, no. Well, why not? Well, I don't know. I'll figure it out. How? I don't know. See, he says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. It's humbling to have to admit that I don't have the answers that I don't know. And then he goes on and he says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting your cares upon him, for he cares about you. And again, I love the, the wording there, casting your cares. It's something that we again talk to the kids about, hey, football season is coming up. And we're going to see some amazing plays, as long as you're not a cowboy fan. We're going to see some amazing plays. 
when the quarterback drops back to pass, he's going to launch it. And he's going to let it fly. And once it leaves his hand, you're not going to see him chase it down. Once it leaves his hand, he then trusts that where he has casted it, that the ball is going to go where he intended it to, and that when the receiver or whoever it is catches it, is going to take it where they're supposed to go. He no longer has control of the ball at that point. That's casting. It's throwing it. It would be ridiculous to see the quarterback throwing the ball to himself, catching it, running it, and doing that every play. In fact, he wouldn't make it very far. I'm not entirely sure if that's even legal. And yet a lot of times that's the way we cast our cares upon God. We come before Him in prayer and we say, okay, God, I'm going to leave this before you, God. I'm struggling with this. You know what? I'm leaving it in your hands. And we pray, and then we walk out the door, and we say, okay, now I'm going to figure it out. I've prayed. Now it's up to me. If you've cast it before the Lord, then man, give Him a chance to answer. Wait on the Lord. It's something we talk about so often that it's, I think, one of the things we struggle with the most. I know it's one of the things I struggle with. Is the waiting part. Once it's no longer in my hands, it seems like it takes an eternity to get an answer. And so when it doesn't come, we start to freak out a little bit. We start to make contingency plans. We start to move. Remember reading about in the book of Daniel as Daniel is having one of his visions that the angel comes and he tells him, hey, I was sent out at the beginning of your prayer. But it took a while for the answer to come. And he tells Daniel, the reason why it took a while is because I was held up by the prince of Persia. And he tells him, listen, there was a spiritual battle taking place. And you know what? I was sent when your prayer began. But man, there was a battle that took place, and that's why it was delayed. But Daniel remained in prayer. Daniel waited on the Lord. And I think it's again a lesson for us, like Habakkuk, like Daniel. Man, we need to be willing to wait on the Lord. And if the, the answer hasn't come yet, then man, to continue to wait on Him. And not to get ahead of God. One of the other verses that I was led to this week, and I've probably read many times in my life, I've probably heard shared many times in my life, is found in Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, verse 26, it says, My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My flesh and my heart may fail. Man, everything about me is going to fail at some point, but my God is not. He is my strength and my portion. Man, on Him I'm going to wait and I'm going to rely. That leads us into the answer that then God gives to Habakkuk as he waits on him. In verse 2 of chapter 2, it goes on and it says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. 
in verse 4, he says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. He says, man, it's not about the strength in you, it's about your faith in me. Yes, you can look around and you can see what it seems like the proud flourishing. You can see what it seems like the wicked winning. You can see all these things, but Habakkuk looks are not always what they seem. And it's one of those things, my daughter, as we've started school, we've kind of gone into routine over the last couple of days, that over the last hour before bedtime, we read books, and then for whatever reason, to we decided to calm down by my wife, my daughter, and I sit and we take Disney quizzes. I found out many times over the last couple of days what Disney princess I am. And one of the things that, that my daughter, um, she read the other day, it was like, you know, choose your favorite quote. What, it, what is one thing that you've learned in your life? And there were some silly ones, and then there was one that I, I didn't realize that she knew. And it, the, the quote that she chose was, don't judge a book by its cover. And I asked her, Layla, what does that mean? And she goes, you know what, people aren't always what they seem. And she didn't obviously say it quite like that. But that was the intent, that was what she meant. And I looked at her, and again, this is my seven-year-old daughter, and I was just like, it blows me away because, you know, that's, again, something that I struggle with a lot of times. And she's just kind of like, yeah, Dad, that's obvious. And I think it's one of those things that we need to remember. It's not always, people are not always what they seem, and situations are not always what they look like at first glance. There's something more going on there. Especially as Christians, it's something that we need to remember, that there is more going on than what we can see. And so our hope and our faith, it needs not to be in ourselves and in the answers that we can provide, but they need, it needs to be in the Lord and in the answers that He has and in the faith that we have and what He's done and is doing and is going to continue to do. The just shall live by faith. I like in Hebrews 11.1 1, where it tells us what faith is. And Hebrews is often, or Hebrews 11 is often what we refer to as the hall of faith because it, it will go on to list all these just ordinary guys that did amazing things through faith. But in verse 1 of chapter 11 it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things hoped for. And faith is... And God is what allows us to continue in those moments. I remember getting, I used to get chain emails, and I like that I can tell you guys about this, and you understand. I tell the youth, and they're like, what's an email? But I used to get the chain emails, and one of them, it was talking about uh, the different values of things. And in it, depending on in whose hands it was, it made a difference. And it said, like, you know, a baseball in my hands is worth a couple of bucks. A baseball in Roger Clemens' hands is worth millions of dollars. A basketball in my hands, maybe 20 bucks. In Michael Jordan's hands, again, millions of dollars. And then it said, you know, my life in my hands 
isn't worth much. But my life in God's hands is priceless. And again, it was, it's all about whose hands it's in. Where's your faith? In, whose, in, in what? In who are you putting your faith? The just shall live by faith, but not just faith, but faith in the Lord. Faith in the one that made the heavens and the earth. Faith in the one that spoke it all into existence. That man said, let there be light before there was even the sun, the moon, and the stars. Faith in the one that man, when Sarah was old and beyond the age of childbearing, gave her a son. Faith in the one that, man, he parted the seas. Faith in the one that has done all these amazing things. The man, that's the one who we have faith in. Faith in the one who died and rose again. That's who my faith is in. It's not just faith for faith's sake, but it's faith in the one that has never failed. The just shall live by faith. Yeah, I may not get what's taking place. And yeah, I may not understand it. But man, I trust the one who is in control. In the rest of the chapter, in chapter 2, he goes on and he says, man, I know who the Babylonians are. And he calls them out again because of their pride along with other things. In verse 5, he says, indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man. And he does not stand home because he enlarges his desire as hell and he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. Will not all these take a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his, how long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges, will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you? and you will become their booty. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may deliver from the power of disaster. You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples and sin against your soul, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the tenders will answer it. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in these verses, he tells Habakkuk, look, I know exactly who the Babylonians are. And you know what? They're not getting away with anything. Because, man, there's going to come a time where they're going to stand before me for all that they've done. Habakkuk, I know what I'm doing. And I think, again, it's one of those things that as a reminder for us, he knows what he's doing. Not One thing escapes his eyes. There is nowhere that anyone can hide from him. And there is nothing that he doesn't see. And the encouragement, the challenge is don't lose heart. Again, in in Psalm 73, 
and talks about the fact as, as he starts that chapter. That there is a moment he talks about, you know what, I almost did lo- lose him. In verse 1 he says, truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps, my steps had nearly slept. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He says, there was a moment at the beginning of the chapter, he says, where I almost stumbled. Where I almost said, man, forget this. It seems to be easier not to walk with God than it does to walk with God. But again, notice as he starts that, where his eyes were. He says, as I looked at the wicked, I remember, and I think I'll remember this my entire life, my dad teaching the the high school ministry, and he, he had us all like close one eye and hold our hand out at a distance and just, you know, hold our thumb up. And he said, okay, as, as you do that, focus on the wall in front of you. And so we did. And he said, okay, what's bigger? And it's an obvious question with your thumb out like that. You know, obviously the wall is bigger than your thumb. I mean, even if you were to go stand up against the wall, your wall is still bigger than your thumb. And he told us, now what I want you to do is I want you to now bring your thumb in to the eye that's open. I'm pretty sure he had to tell us the same thing I have to tell the youth today. Do it slowly so you don't poke yourself in the eye. But he said, now bring your thumb in. And as we did, he said, okay, now try and focus on the wall still. And what we found was that, man, the closer our thumb got to our eye, all of a sudden, we couldn't see around it anymore. It wasn't that suddenly our thumb had grown larger or the wall had gotten smaller. It was that as we drew our thumb in closer to our eye, it filled our vision. The wall was still there and it was the same size, but now our focus was on something entirely different. And he told us as we did that, you know, your thumb is God. And when you hold God at an arm's length, everything else seems so far, so big, so insurmountable. The wicked seem like they're always going to prosper. It seems like, man, nothing is ever going to go right. Everything just seems like it's falling apart. He says, but when you remember that in James we're told, if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. If you draw near to him, and as you draw near to your thumb, again, your problems are still going to be there. The things going on in the world are still going to be there, but suddenly your focus is going to be different because you're going to realize and you're going to remember how big your God is. And as God is speaking to Habakkuk in chapter 2, what he is reminding him is, yes, the Babylonians are wicked, and yes, they're prospering, and yes, all these things are happening, and Israel is wicked, and all this. And he's, he's reminding Habakkuk, but I am God. All these things, Habakkuk, are still going to take place. And if you just focus on them, you're still going to find yourself in the same place. But he's slowly but surely redirecting Habakkuk's eyes away from the events around him and up to the God above him. And I think, again, it's one of those lessons for us. 
that, man, yes, we can watch the news and we can see all the things that are going on. It seems like every day there's another tragedy somewhere in the world, if not somewhere in our nation. More people are dying. More people are going into places with guns. I was at GECU earlier this week, and, man, you saw the anxiety in people because the, the alert system went off in the bank, you know, like you know, on your phones when you get it. And it turned out to be an Amber Alert somewhere else in Texas. But there was an immediate, like, just everybody tensed up. Because, man, the, the bank was just filled with what sounded like, you know, not necessarily sirens, but that sound your phone makes. And in that moment, you know, you saw people looking for the exits. You saw people looking around like, hey, what's going on? Because there is that fear, there is that anxiety. And even in now in our own city, as we look at it, you know, and, and again, there's even that vigil taking place at Southwest University Park tonight. As people are still looking for answers, as people are still looking for something to hold on to, looking for some hope, looking for something to help them to move past it. And again, as we continue to focus on these things, we're going to be stuck in that place of anxiety and fear and everything else. But as we allow our gaze to be taken up to heaven and to the one who sits on the throne in heaven, we begin to find that peace. And so he goes on in verse 15 and he says, he continues, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink and be exposed as uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you and utter shame will be, will be on your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you and the plunder of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood and the violence in the land and the city and, all, and of all who dwell in it. What profit is the image that its maker should carve it? The old molded image, a teacher of lies that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. Woe to him who says to wood, awake, to silent stone, arise. It shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. And again, I was telling the kids on Sunday, man, there are some people I know that I absolutely love. Man, I, I look at them and I see what they're talking about and I see the things that they're holding on to. And man, as good as it sounds and as good as it looks, when I look into their eyes, they're empty. Because they're trusting in things that, man, there is no breath in, there is no life in. That's not where we're at. Then verse 20, the contrast is, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And again, the reminder, Habakkuk, look at all this stuff going on. But I have not moved. Again, uh, to steal from a, a teaching that I heard, we had Mr. Cruz teach the youth one time after 9-11. And he was sharing with them how you know, people would ask him, where was your God when the towers fell? And I loved his response because he said, I would tell them, 
My God was in the same place then that he is now. He is sitting on the throne. What happened that day didn't move him off of it. He wasn't surprised by it. He was in control and he had a plan through it all. And I think again the question flying around is, where was God on that day? He was on the throne. In the same place he's always been, the same place he tells Habakkuk, look, the world may be filled with wickedness, but I am on the throne. And man, there is a a date, an expiration date on that wickedness. But my throne is eternal. And again, it's that hope, that reminder that we need. I love it because then all of this leads to chapter 3. Where in my Bible it's titled the prophet's prayer, but really... It's the prophet's worship. Because as he's led, he's taken from this place of looking at the wickedness to looking at the throne. He's now led into a place of worship. And it says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on... I'm not even going to try. You guys can read it in your own heads and pretend I said it. But in verse 2 it says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. And he says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. Revive your work. Habakkuk has gone from questioning to submitting and to praying and saying, Lord, Let your will be done. I have heard your voice and I have been reminded of who you are. Your will be done. What God is about to do, what he's bringing, hasn't changed. The Babylonians are still coming. The wickedness is still there. You know what? The things that Habakkuk was confused about are still going to take place. And he still wasn't necessarily given the answer he was looking for but he was reminded of the God who's doing it and who's in control. And so his response was, Lord, no longer do I need you to do things my way. In fact, Lord, your will be done. And I think again that that's the prayer that we ought to be praying. Lord, I don't want it my way. My way is is so short-sighted. My way is often very selfish. Lord, your way is perfect. Tell the kids, and I I, I always think of my son, because I forget how old he was when the PlayStation, I think it was like the 2 or the PlayStation 3 came out. But my wife and I had gotten that for him for Christmas. And the week leading up to Christmas, the week before Christmas, he and I had been out shopping. And we were at Walgreens, and he found these little toys that were in this little bag. They were like maybe $5, toys that I knew he was going to play with that day and throw away. And we're there, and we were there for, I forget what, 
I think it was like picking up a prescription or something. But we're there, and he says, Dad, can I look through the toil? I said, you can look, but you're not getting anything because Christmas is next week, and we've already got your present. And he said, okay, Dad. And so, of course, I go get the prescription. I come and find him in the toy aisle, and he's got a handful of stuff. And I said, Ethan, put it back. You're not getting it. And he started to, like, tear up. And I said, okay, I'm going to let you make a choice. You can have those things in your hand right now, and that will be your Christmas present. Or you can wait and see what we already have for you. And he said, okay. And he looked at me and he goes, well, if I don't like what you've got me, can, we, can I return it and come get these? <laughs> and I was like, sure, Ethan, whatever. And he's like, all right. So he puts it back. On Christmas Day, we, we bring out his gift, and he opens it, and he's like, oh, my gosh, and he's all excited. And he's about to give me a hug, and I said, no, wait. You still have a choice. Do you want to return it and go get those other toys? And he was like, duh. And I think, man, a lot of times that's us with God. The man, we're holding on to these little things. God, this is what I really, really want. And he's like, man, I've got so much more in store. Just wait. Trust me. Just trust me. You know, and we need to get to that place where we say, you know what, God? Your will be done. I like in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, you are in heaven. You are in control and let your will be done not mine. That that ought to be our prayer as we go into anything. Something I've been telling the kids is that, man, when we go and pray, and when I go pray for people in the hospital, that that is always my prayer. Lord, if it's your will, heal them. And if it's not, Lord, give us the strength and the wisdom to continue moving forward to understand what it is that you're going to do here. But Lord, whatever it be, let it be your will. And as our eyes are taken off of ourselves, off of our situations and put on God, we find ourselves in that place, the place where Habakkuk finds himself. He goes on in verse 3, and he's remembering how God led the people out of Egypt and, and had led them throughout their history and he, and he talks about all these things that ultimately leads to verse 17 where we see this amazing statement of faith where he says though the fig tree may not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high hills to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. He says, 
though famine may come, though I may have nothing, if I have God, I have it all. And I will worship even in that nothingness. I will worship even in that lack. Because why? Because the Lord is my strength. And then he gives that wonderful image and he says, he will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high hills. He says, man, he will guide my steps and he will keep my path. He will keep me walking securely with him. And I will worship him wherever I'm at. I was sitting in the back and I had told one of the college leaders what I was teaching on today. And he had gone to use the restroom in the office and he comes back and he throws something on my desk and it's this tiny little book. And he goes, here, why don't you just go up there and read this? And it was a little commentary on Habakkuk. And I was like, you punk. And I looked at the title and it says, From Worrier to Worshipper. And I was like, man, I should just go up there and read that. Because that's such an awesome title for the book of Habakkuk. From Worrier to Worshipper. From God, what are you doing? To God, you are my strength. What an awesome thought. Man, that's where we need to be today. Maybe we came in here with that, God, what are you doing mentality? Maybe there have been so many things that have gone wrong in our lives. Maybe it's just the things that we see on TV. But man, it's one of those things that we need to go from worry to worship. Again, going back to Psalm 73, at the end of that chapter, again, an amazing verse. In verse 28, it says, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all your works. And Psalm 73 is so neat, because it's almost the same heart of Habakkuk. From that desperation to the worship, and again ends with, It is good for me to draw near to God. And I think more than anything else, that is what we need to be doing. We need to draw near to God. We need to pour ourselves out before Him. And man, you know what? We need to be, again, like we say so many times, be real. I used to have a friend when I was in college that I guess he didn't think that be real was enough. So he would come up to me and he would go, be real, real, son. Like, not just real, but be really real. And again, it's something we tell the kids all the time. Don't just be real, but really be real. But man, if you're in that Habakkuk place, man, let that worry lead to worship. And I know it's easier said than done. You know, if my dad could come up here afterwards, he would tell you how many different times, you know, I have texted him in just the last couple of months with different things going on in my life, and I've just been like, and I just don't even know what to do. And he uh, he'd respond to me, son, just pray. 
And I would get off the phone, and my wife would be like, what would your dad say? And I was like, nothing. And I'm up here now telling you, hey, just pray. But it's because I've learned them, and I constantly have to learn them. Man, it, it, it was hard to sit down and, and, and write this. Because there are so many things that I don't have answers to. So many things that I'm still struggling through that have happened over the last couple of months, the last couple of, the last year. And I think I probably say it every time, but this is, again, not something I really wanted to share. Because as I began this, I was the worrier. And I was just sitting there, and I was like, you know, why? And I remember, again, my the youth pastor that I took over from, a guy that I learned so much from, he had this phrase that he used to share with us. And he was like, you know, there are some beautiful buts in the Bible. And we would always be like, what? And I think he would say that because he knew it got our attention as kids. Because we were like, beautiful but? Bathsheba? Like, you know, we were just like, what's going on? And he would say, there are so many times in the Bible you will see things going on and things just darkness. And then after that, you'll see, but God. And he says, those are the beautiful buts of the Bible. Yeah, all this stuff is happening, but God. Don't ever forget God. Because he's always going to have the last word. And man, his word is the one that we need to hold on to. And again, it's what Habakkuk learned. God, you're going to have the last word, and yours is perfect. 